So I'm going to talk uh, about a piece of work that I have just uh, recently uh, published. As I was saying to a few people earlier, uh, it uh, describes a slightly different approach um, to modelling uh, diseases than you'll be learning in this course. And hopefully, um, I will during this talk, I will sort of introduce you to some of the things that you're going to learn later on. So um, if it looks a bit mathematical, just, uh, just ignore it, let it wash over you, regard it sort of like a cultural experience. Um, uh, but, but there will be, uh, uh, these will be things that you will be learning about, even if um, not in exactly this, this sort of way. <clears throat> so my starting point, I started in the cancer epidemiology unit. Um, now, does anybody know who, who this person is? Yes, it was Richard Dole. And, and what, what was Richard Dole famous for? So he's most famous for having sort of established uh, the link between smoking and lung cancer. And he's also famous for something else, um, which is he's got his name associated with this paper, uh, The Age Distribution of Cancer and a Multi-Stage Theory of Carcinogenesis. Now, going back to the 1950s, they, they came up with a very, very simple idea for how cancer occurs. And, and the, the thinking was, well, cancer occurs through a, a sequence of steps, uh, one thing after the other, uh, say genetic mutations, for example. And until you've had every single one of those mutations, you're, you're, you're healthy. But when that final mutation hits, then, you, you know, you've got problems. And what they realized was that if, if the rates of each of these uh, mutations happen at a uh, constant rate, then the distribution... Of, uh, of cancer would be expected to go like age to some power um, or time to some power. And when they looked at the data, um, then sure enough, that, that was sort of roughly what they found. So when you take the log of uh, uh, the, the, the instance and post plot versus the log of age, you should see a straight line. And that's what they found. And the slope of that line will tell you the number of stages that are involved in, in the model. So that was all seemed, seemed pretty encouraging at the time. Um, but it's not been used very much really since then. And there's several good reasons for that. Uh, so it's, uh, it certainly used to be difficult to formulate and understand. Uh, it, was, it was certainly difficult to fit to the data in, in some cases. There were questions about whether the model was identifiable. So that's whether you could really determine what these parameters uh, were, were, were representing. And perhaps most importantly of all, alternative methods came along uh, such as log logistic regression and Cox proportional hazards, which are actually more useful for most of the things that people were interested in. Now, jo George Box uh, famously said that um, all models are wrong, but some are useful. And what he meant by that was that a model can help you to sort of, you know, describe and understand processes. And this is very much the approach I'm taking um, in, in, in the talk today and, and, in, and in my uh, approach to this work. Despite not having been used that much, when it has been used, this model has, has tended to be associated with important pieces of work. And I've just listed a handful of examples here, and, it, and the list needs to be updated. But what I would argue is that the many of the reasons for not using this model are no longer present. So I would argue that it is now comparatively easy to formulate these things and to understand what's going on. It's easy to fit the data. These issues about identifiability are not really necessarily that important in practice. And although there are alternative methods, the value of these sort of multi-stage models uh, are sort of, they're, they're different. So, so there is a value to them. And there's one other thing that really got me interested in them. 
And this is that they're designed to model sequences of somatic mutations. And in the last five or six years, one of the really big discoveries, in, in, in my opinion, is the realisation that we are all, as we age, we, our cells accumulate somatic mutations and we get these clones of cells that uh, are mostly harmless, but accumulate over time. So moles on your skin are a very obvious visible example. So as we age, we, 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 we gain these, uh, these mutations in our, in, our, in our stem cells, and most of them are harmless. Uh, but by the time we start to get into, into old age, it turns out that if you look at, your, say, your, your blood, a quite a substantial proportion of your blood can be, contain these, these clones that are distinct for, from uh, healthy, healthy blood cells. And it turns out that almost everywhere that, that, it, that people have looked, be it in, in your blood, in your throat, in your skin, even in single cells, that, that this is found to be the case. And it's also been, been found that these, uh, these are almost certainly involved in, in cardiovascular diseases. My thinking was, what other diseases might, might these things be involved with? And is this a reason to uh, look again at using multi-stage models to study disease? Another benefit of these models that distinguishes them from, say, proportional hazards or logistic regression is that they are what is called a, a parametric models. So by that, we specifically model the instance of disease as a function of age or a function of time, um, which is different to, say, logistic regression or proportional hazards, where either you get the disease or you don't get the disease, and you're just estimating how, say, smoking or, or body mass index, for example, modifies your risks. Now... David Cox, I don't know whether any of you uh, have heard of him. He unfortunately recently died this year in, in, in his 90s. Now, he, he devised the proportional hazards and the logistic regression models. However, in a 1994 interview, he remarked that he would normally want to tackle problems parametrically, so with, a, with this actual specific description for how the instance of disease occurs, for example. And the reason why, he said, was because various people have shown that the answers are very insensitive to the exact formulation of the model. So in other words, it doesn't really matter if the model is imperfect, it still gets about the right answer, but you have all the other benefits that goes with, with, with having it, which are you tend to give you a, a better understanding of what's going on. They're often more informative and sort of easier to interpret, and I'll give examples of that. And in addition, they allow you to extrapolate. So your uh, data may uh, lie with people aged between 40 and 60, but you can extrapolate a little bit forward or, or back to get an idea of how that instance will, will change with, with age. But there are very good reasons why most people don't use uh, these sorts of models. And the first is that you don't need, you don't need to go to all this extra effort of, of, of describing the instance of disease to be able to estimate these, the factors that you're interested in. The, the, uh, the, for example, how smoking it modifies your risk of disease. And in addition to this, but the proportional hazards model, for example, allows you to model quite complex situations, such as where you might have two different groups with very complex varying instance patterns, and it would still, it, the analysis would still in principle give you the correct answer. So if your interest is, is in estimating associations with, say, smoking uh, and uh, lung cancer, then a non-parametric model, li model is likely to be better. And, and that's no doubt why most of your syllabus is is aimed at just that, and, and rightly so. As a result of this, the, um, the age-dependent instance of disease 
and, and some of the statistical uh, problems that are needed to, to study these things correctly have tended to be ignored. And as a result, uh, in my opinion, some potentially important patterns of, of disease incidents have been overlooked. And I'm going to um, show some of those uh, later on. And I should emphasize that, that most of the results here you couldn't have got with, your, with a conventional logistic regressions or proportional hazards model. And what we're going to find, we're going to find that uh, a large class of diseases are statistically at least uh, potentially avoidable o- over a lifetime. That's what I'm going to argue. And that your effective age at risk of these diseases, so that's uh, the, the, the age you would, the equivalent age of somebody with no risk factors to your age if, say, you're, 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 you smoke and, and you're overweight, for example. And I'm going to argue that you, this effective age at risk for these more sort of sporadic diseases is more sensitive to risk factors than for diseases that tend to be more uh, later onset. I'm also going to argue that uh, about 60% of, of the diseases in the UK biobank are consistent with, this, with a multi-stage disease process. But, I'm all, but unfortunately... It also appears that you, can't, you cannot conclude that the, the disease processes themselves have this multi-stage underlying etiology. And, I, and I'll um, have evidence for, for, for all of this. And I'm going to introduce the effective age and a, and a relative ageing rate and a handful of other minor results will crop up along the way. So this was the, so this was the, conf- the original multi-stage model of, uh, of carcinogenesis, imagined disease, cancer in particular, occurring through a sequence of steps. Now, in its most general form, a multi-stage model of disease is one in which you go from a healthy to a diseased state in one of any number of independent paths. The only important thing is they must be independent of each other, they can't interact, and they're through a series of sequential or non-sequential states. So in its most general form, you can take any model of that, that type, and you can write down an equation for it. Don't worry about the equations, that's just to show that they, you can do that. However, in practice, even if you have a situation where this is, this, is, this is actually how disease may occur, you're only going to see the process that happens most rapidly. So even if uh, disease can occur in, in several different ways, if most of the cases are occurring in the same way, that's, that's the sequence of st- steps you're going to see. And so in, in, in practice, the model is going to be a lot, a lot simpler and when the, uh, the hazard of a, of, of a disease is small, which, is, uh, which will turn out to be the case uh, for most diseases, then you can approximate this, this, uh, this situation with what's called a Weibull distribution. And I'll, I'll explain what that, what that is uh, in just a moment. So if, if you don't know what these three things are yet, you will do by the end of the, the course, uh, I, I, I presume. On the left is your survival function. So this is the probability of surviving disease to a certain age. So, so this is, say, age 100, say, and your, your ch- probability of surviving to there is about half, say, for example. The probability density is, is or probability distribution is, is, is often referred to. So if you take, if you, if you look at this interval between 100 and 101 and you, you calculate the area of the curve, that's the probability of, of getting a disease uh, with it within that, that age range. Okay. And then the third thing is a little bit less familiar and is not taught that often. And it probably ought to be taught more generally uh, it, 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 than just in um, statistics classes. And this is the hazard function. 
And now what the hazard function is, is it says, okay, if you came to me now and you said, okay, Anthony, what's the chance I'm going to die of lung cancer uh, in the next day? Well, that's what the hazard function tells you, okay? So the hazard function is the probability of getting a disease given that you haven't got it until now, okay? And all three of these things are, are related. You can calculate each one in terms of the other. It requires a certain amount of uh, ingenuity, but you, but you can do that. And one other thing that most people uh, are unaware of is that for most diseases that occur, if you're otherwise healthy, you don't have any underlying conditions, for, for, all, for almost all diseases that you look at and almost all people, your risk of a disease throughout, throughout up, up until 80 or 90 is, is very, very low. Um, it's just the fact that there's so many diseases that it makes, it, it makes them almost inevitable. And for that, for that reason, you can approximate this probability density by, by the hazard function, which makes a lot of the maths far simpler, although I won't, you won't see any of that. Um, so this is actually data from UK Biobank, where I've looked at the probability of, of a disease having occurred by a given age, given that you haven't yet had any, any underlying diseases. And so this is at age 50, age 60, 70, 80, 90. So you can see that even by age 100, of course, the data is less good for that. But, but um, the, the likelihood of, um, of, of getting... The, so this is the, the... Along the bottom here, we've got the probability of having had disease by that age. It's comparatively small. It's really, really surprisingly small. And I'm not the only person to observe this, but, it, but it's not commonly known. So it is also cropped up in a statistical genetics um, paper, important statistical genetics paper just recently. Just bear with me with the maths for a little bit longer. As I said, you can relate these three things to each other. So if you look at the area underneath this, this hazard function, that gives you what's called the cumulative hazard function. Um, for those of you who, who know a bit of calculus, it's the, it's the integral of it. And that allows you to express the survival function in terms of the hazard function as, as the exponential over, over there. So uh, where I'm going with this is to, is to show you what the viable distribution is. This is our survival function, and we, we write it in terms of the hazard function. And if we have a proportional hazards model that you're going to learn about later, then what that assumes is you can write the hazard function uh, as a product of a term that's the same uh, for everybody, and that's the bit that has all your, the age dependence in it and the time dependence in it, and a factor, which is the relative risk. So, uh, for example, you, X might be 1 if you're a smoker, not, not if you're, 0 if you're not. So it would just be the relative risk would be 1 if you're a non-smoker, and it would be, the relative risk would be E to the beta if you were, were a smoker. Okay? And that's the proportional hazards assumption. And if you are assuming a Weibull distribution, then all you're doing is assuming that this hazard, uh, it's, based, it's called a baseline hazard function, uh, is a power of time or a power of age. I'll tend to use time and age interchangeably. And so that's what a Weibull distribution is. Or, if you prefer words, in a Weibull distribution, the hazard function is, is a power of, of time or of age, depending on how you express it. Okay. And as I said, and for diseases where you know, their, their incidence rate is low, which is, is, is most, which is all the diseases I'm going to look at anyway, you can approximate, the Weibull distribution is a good approximation to this very simple sequential model of disease, the very original um, Armitage-Doll model of cancer. 
Okay. So if we plot, if we take the log of this, of the, both sides, we should see a straight line if this is the case, and we can start to estimate these parameters. And for roughly 60% of the diseases I looked at, so I've just, these are just, all I'm trying to do is show that there's lots of these things. I looked at hundreds of them, literally, and you get a nice straight line, um, and it all looks pretty consistent. And you can do statistical tests to check that it's consistent with the, with the model. Uh, and, uh, and, that, and that was, um, it turned out this is, this is very prevalent. However, so you might say, so why has this not been noticed before? And there is a reason for that. The data, so let's say this is your survival, your, your chance of surviving a disease up to age 100. Now, most of the data you get will be of people within a certain age. So for UK Biobank, uh, data will be collected on people, say, between roughly eight, age 40 and 60, for example. What that means is, is you're, not seeing, you're not seeing this part of the, the, the curve. You're not seeing data from here. Um, you're just, just, all you're seeing is, is this. Now, the most advanced traditional methods for analyzing this sort of data, they will correctly uh, adapt for the fact that this is, this is not flat here, and they will, they will get that right. But what they, what they don't do, because they're not parametric, they're not modeling the overall age dependence, they're not able to estimate how far this has dropped down so how much lower the your, how much um, disease would already have occurred in your underlying population? And if you don't account for that, then instead of seeing this nice straight line, you see something that's very very curved and very strongly curved. And so you might just quite naively plot your data and, and reach the conclusion that, that that this this model fits very very few cases. But if you ad- adjust for the fact that, uh, that, that your data is, does not cover the entire human lifetime, uh, then you get a nice, a nice straight line again. And this is why I, I think this has been overlooked so far. Okay, uh, I think this is the last new equation. Just ignore this one, if you like. Um, so I thought, well, you know, there are other models you can look at. So I thought, well, let's also look at a model where uh, disease can occur, the steps could go in any order, so you, this one could occur, then this one, then this one, as opposed to needing to occur in sequence. And I also fit that to the data. And what I found is that also fit the data pretty well. But it also fit the same types of diseases pretty well. So my conclusion is that, yes, it's conceivable, based on these results, that many diseases may, t- may have this sort of multi-stage underlying etiology or underlying process, uh, but we can't actually conclude from this data that any of them actually do because these two models have very different, different biological um, interpretations. So that's, uh, that's work to be uh, ongoing to determine whether it's the case or not. Now, as I said, there are, however, other advantages to having this nice parametric model that describes the instance of disease with, with, with age. And one is extrapolation. So you can quantify differences in the patterns of disease onset. So what I'm showing here is along the bottom is the probability of having experienced the disease by, by age 50. Okay, so, down, so on the right-hand side are diseases that are more likely to be observed by age 50. Going up, up vertically, 
is the relative increase in risk by age 100. So at the top here, your, these diseases, your, your risk are rapidly increasing with age. Now, it turns out that the, what you find is that these, overall, these are all the diseases, and they're sort of spread along the diagonal broadly here. So down here, these diseases are, you know, there's a good chance you might get them in, you know, in your middle age, but your risk increases comparatively slowly you know, as, as you age. In contrast, these ones, you're very, very unlikely to get until you're quite old, but the risk rapidly increases. And if you, you look at the types of diseases which these are, they are the sort of things you might have guessed. So these are more that, you know, your cancers and your cardiovascular diseases. And these ones are your, your digestive diseases, musculoskeletal diseases, and sort of things of unknown origin or, or poorly defined. So this is another way of looking at it. So this is the, this is the hazard of your disease. So, the problem, so if you live till age, age 80, it's the, what's the chance of getting a disease in the next year? And you can see that for the sporadic diseases, you know, they're, they're, there's always a risk throughout your life, but it increases really quite slowly. Um, whereas these late onset diseases, you know, you're very unlikely to see them until you're older. But when you're older, you know, they are going to get us. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> and it's not much. We, statistically, at least, it, it doesn't look good. So the next question is, well, how, how modifiable are risks of these things? So the, these are, I'm now looking at relative risks for established risk factors. So there's education, deprivation, BMI, height, drinking, diabetes, and smoking. And what I've done is, is I've done box plots. So I, I've, I've, taken, I've made estimates of all these things for all the sporadic diseases and all the late onset diseases. And the, uh, the box plot shows the median and, the, uh, and, the, and the, the extent of the box gives you an idea of, I think it's the upper and lower quartile, gives you an idea of the spread of, of the, uh, the estimates. And, and the risks, the relative risks are, are pretty similar, perhaps a bit higher for diabetes and smoking in, in, in the late onset diseases. Now, I think this is my last equation. Now, if you go back to our, our Weibull distribution, you can take this relative risk and you can pop it inside the brackets here. And then what you get is something that's equivalent to an effective age at risk of disease. So if you had no risk factors, that would give you your age-dependent risk of disease. If you have some risk factors that increase your risk, that, that makes this term like a higher. So for example, so you're, uh, it gives you an effective age that could be either higher or lower, depending on whether you're increasing your risk through, say, smoking or reducing it through some uh, other, other, other methods, such as a, a drug to lower your blood pressure, for example. Uh, you can alternatively regard this, this factor here as like, like a relative aging rate, because you just multiply that by your actual age and it gives you your effective age at risk of, of any particular disease for your, your particular set of, of risk factors. And when you look at your, the difference between sporadic and late onset diseases in terms of this relative aging rate, then we see a very different pattern where the sporadic diseases are actually quite modifiable in terms of, terms of risk. So not only are these diseases potentially avoidable over, over your lifetime, but they're also very modifiable in terms of their risks, in terms of well-known risk factors that we, can all, we all have some choice over. Okay, so there's one last topic. Now, one other thing that you can do is you can take your data and you can split it up into pieces. This is referred to as stratif stratification. So, for example, you can split up your data by the smokers and the non-smokers. 
And we, as we well know now, if we plot this data appropriately, if it's consistent with this model, we should see a, see a straight line. So what we're seeing here, we've got the smokers in red, the non-smokers in blue. And I've, I've sort of picked three, three diseases because nice examples. And the fact that the, the, the smokers are sort of higher up, it corresponds to a, a higher instance rate. This, this, is, this is observed data with a, with, a, with a line fitted through it. Now, you can start to interpret what these, what these things mean. Let's say we've got a, a disease process where we're going through a, series, a sequence of steps and you increase the rate of all of those processes. So you increase all of these things. Then what you'll see is like a, a rigid displacement of this, this line upwards. Okay? And that's what you, would, what you would get for a proportional, in a proportional hazards model, which you'll be learning about. So if it's a proportional hazards model, this is what you're modeling. You're able to model these things moving up and down. And this is what was, was the found for, uh, this is benign neoplasms of the colon rectum and anus. Okay? And that's consistent with that sort of picture. Another thing that you might ha have is that you might increase the rate of one of those steps sufficiently rapidly, uh, or enough rather, that you just don't see it anymore. So instead of seeing three, three stages, you only see the two. And then what you'll see is your, the line would move upwards and, and the slope would become less, less steep. Now, I should stress, if you see data like this, then you shouldn't be modelling it with a proportion hazard model. Your statistical test may not pick that out, but you, but you, shouldn't, be, you shouldn't, in principle, be doing that. So there's one other thing that might happen. Um, what happens if you, you know, you're, you're smoking or, or whatever you're doing is, is, is modifying the risk of disease by some other, some other process so that your, the dominant disease process now becomes something different? Well, then you might have a situation where not only are you increasing the rate, but you might have more, more steps on this situation. You could even see an increase in the slope. And I th that's what I'm hypothesizing is, is happening with the lung cancer because it turns out that uh, the type of uh, cancer you get in smokers is predominantly different to the type of smoke cancer you get in non-smokers. But this is, all, this is all kind of, this is all hypothesizing really. But it gives you a very different sort of perspective on what might be going on um, in terms of disease. Yeah, so these are the same results for women. You could stratify by diabetes. There's results for women again. There's a slightly odd, odd result here. I, I note for the... Uh, the diabetic men seem to be at lower risk than the non-diabetic men of pulmonary embolisms. I don't know why. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an odd result. So uh, these are my, my sort of conclusions. The late onset diseases, they, 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 they seem to be inevitable. You know, they, the rate at which the risk of those increases is, is, is dramatic um, once you get into old age. But these sporadic diseases, at least from a statistical point of view, it looks like the risk is, is all despite existing throughout our lives, it doesn't increase particularly uh, rapidly. And so we might hope that we could either prevent or avoid them throughout our lifetime. In addition, these diseases are strongly influenced by well-known risk factors. So it would appear that a substantial burden of you know, hospital admissions is in principle avoidable by just changing our, our lifestyle habits. And I've also hoped to present a, a, a slightly different statistical approach that uh, is, is, at the moment, uh, largely unexplored. So the opportunities I see them going forward. So for the methodology, 
Uh, risk stratification using effective age is a very intuitive way. Also for communication, public communication, effective age is, 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 is easier for many people to understand. Uh, if somebody says, you know, if you smoke, you know, and you're 50 years old, you're at equivalent risk to heart disease to somebody who's sort of 60, 65, that's much easier to understand than somebody saying you've got a, rel a relative risk of 20 or whatever it might be. You can get, the modelling is, is improved for some things and we can get some new insights into the causes of diseases. And of course, the big opportunity in principle is that it does look like in print, it does suggest that a large proportion of diseases might be avoidable uh, or premature hospital emissions may be, may be avoidable. But again, we kind of know this already. It's just quantifying it a bit more, uh, a bit more carefully. So to finish off, what might you realistically hope Richard Dole said that uh, death in old age is inevitable, but death before old age is not. And I think I would certainly agree with the first part of that. It does look like death in old age is, is inevitable. <laughs> However, I think it's time to start asking whether perhaps, perhaps ill health is not. Perhaps we can get right through to a ripe old age, but avoid most of these things, conditions before we finally reach uh, something gets us. So at that point, I think I'll, I'll, I'll stop. <laughs>